Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is on any podcast app you like, including Himalaya, but also Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to find your favorite shows. And if you don't like podcast apps, or if you listen to podcasts in your car and you don't want to be scrolling through your phone behind the wheel... You can always ask your smart device like Siri or Amazon Alexa to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today was the first, well, today as I'm recording this, yesterday as you're listening to it, was the first day of OTAs that was available to the media, which means we could get a few answers to some burning questions we've had over the course of the offseason. Now, what I am not going to talk about in this particular segment is Stefan Diggs's absence. There's not really much we can discern because there are a million different explanations for why somebody could miss a voluntary OTA. It could be because they just didn't want to, and that is completely within their right. And it could be something bad, like Stefan Diggs is going to demand a trade and he's really dissatisfied within the organization. Of course, it's not that. But if it were, it would result in the same thing, Diggs missing OTAs, as if he had a friend's wedding to go to, or if he had something else to take care of in his personal life that he wanted wants to keep private and that we'll never know about. Either way, it would result in the same thing, which is Diggs missing OTAs, and therefore we can't really discern anything from it. There's just too many different reasons that it could be that we can't really make any good educated guesses. So it doesn't really give us anything to think that way. And the other thing that I'm not really going to talk about is the Kyle Rudolph interview and and all of his situational stuff. You're going to see some headlines about how the Vikings offered him a five-year deal. We already knew that. We actually already have talked about that on, on this show. Uh, that he was rumored to have been offered a five-year lucrative deal that would make him among the highest-paid tight ends. Looking at the Vikings cap situation, it's very likely that that deal was very low in guarantees because essentially they'd have to like backload the contract to a certain degree and they don't like to give guarantees in the back half of contracts, especially to players that'll be on, you know, the wrong, like deep into their 30s by then. So it, it wouldn't make sense for there to be a lot of guarantees. And if there weren't a lot of guarantees, it would make a lot of sense for Kyle Rudolph to say no. So we kind of already talked about that. And today or yesterday in OTAs, Kyle Rudolph was asked and confirmed that that happened. And then a bunch of national outlets that weren't familiar with the rumor in the first place are picking that up as though it's a new development. It's not a new development. We didn't learn anything new. Kyle Rudolph was just kind of asked a whole bunch of provocative questions and tried his best to say the most political answer, even though that's kind of a difficult thing sometimes in a, in a nebulous situation like this. Uh, but you can like freely skip that interview. It is not going to tell you anything you don't already know. Instead, we are going to use OTAs as kind of an indicator as to where the Vikings stand on a few of the burning questions that we have had throughout the course of of the offseason. Things like what is the wide receiver depth chart looking like? Things like what's going to happen with Pat Elfline now that they've drafted Garrett Bradbury? You know, if, I remember pre-draft there was a lot of talk about like, well, you know, you, you can't draft Bradbury because Elfline's the center. And then somebody would say, well, you'd move him to guard. And somebody would, else would come in and say, well, no, you would make Bradbury move to guard because he played that at NC State too. And, and you know, I was always like, eh, figure it out in camp or do it. It's kind of, it's all six of one, half a dozen to the other. Uh, to me, but now we've kind of found out where the Vikings land on that particular debate as the first team offense had had Pat Elfline at left guard and Garrett Bradbury at center. We kind of knew this already when they drafted Bradbury. It got a lot clearer because all of the coach GM talk was about him at center saying like, he's a good center. We like him at center and, and not really talking about him at guard at all. Uh, and they even asked, uh, reporters even asked Pat Elfline about 
that move. And he was like, yep, cool, down to go to guard. I don't have to worry about the protections anymore. And I played it in college and I feel super comfortable. Let's go. So that appears to be kind of it. And if they do just like make that choice and stick to it, I definitely respect it. I'm a little bit more uh, in favor of trying both permutations and seeing how you like it rather than just, uh, you know, just doing one. Um, But I do think that by the end of OTAs, you should have it chosen so that, you know, you can like go into camp without any ambiguity about that. And everybody can just focus on learning their position instead of like trying to learn multiple positions. Like don't make it that much harder on yourself. But either way, it's kind of splitting hairs. It seems like Garrett Bradbury will be the center. Pat Elfline will be the left guard. Elsewhere on the roster, there's a couple of situations that are worth updating. Uh, Afadi Odenabo, who last year in camp moved to the inside to defensive tackle, actually played pretty well, enough to get poached off of the practice squad when he didn't make the team uh, onto the Cleveland Browns roster. He ends up back here uh, through a whole bunch of negotiation and stuff. And it was rumored that part of that negotiation was that he like wanted to move back to defensive end. And he's like, I'll come back if you can move me to defensive end. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but in any case, he's back at defensive end now in these OTAs. Uh, and, and that is, is his natural position. It's what he played in college and stuff. Um, even though I, I liked him at defensive tackle, but it's hard to argue against moving him back to his natural position. Uh, and elsewhere on the defensive line, Hercules Mata'afa, who is playing and is uh, appears to be 100%, and he was 100% a while ago, um, he is at defensive tackle, and he has a very strange situation. He's actually uh, one of the players on today's list for the 90-man series, so we'll get more into that, but he, it was unclear whether or not he would play linebacker or defensive tackle because of his size, and so seeing him at defensive tackle kind of, like, helps add clarity to that situation, though I don't think it's out of the cards for him to, like, move back to linebacker or even defensive end or move around if the Vikings see fit. Uh, and the only other thing that I wanted to talk about with the way that the Vikings, it's kind of like the, I think Andy Carlson tweeted that that it was like, it's like the beta depth chart, like the kind of V1 of the depth chart. Uh, is that in the wide receiver depth chart, without uh, Stefan Diggs there, there's a lot more room for first-team reps to go around, and those reps were split between uh, Laquan Treadwell, Brandon Zilstra, and Jordan Taylor. And so I would say that those are kind of the three people who are competing for the wide receiver three job, at least from the get-go. I, I still believe in Chad Beebe's ability to come into that uh, that position and, and try to compete for that job, uh, but it doesn't seem like he is there, at least uh, from pole position. So... That is kind of the update of OTA of the things that you actually should probably care about in terms of going to the preseason because it affects all of these players' journeys. Um, But that's all I'm going to talk about with OTA. So I'm actually going to step away right now to an ad break so that when I come back, I can talk about the two players that I plan to cover in today's show in a little bit more depth and detail. So I will see you all in a second. All right, welcome back. So let's get into the actually fun part of this podcast, where we get to talk about every man on the 90-man roster. We are taking a moment out of each podcast to talk about two or three of the players, talk about their backgrounds, their stories, not so much their evaluation or, or projections or like season predictions or anything like that, but more talking about where they came from and what they have to fight for in the preseason. And today, like I said, I'm going to start with Hercules Mata'afa, a player that I'm actually really excited to talk about. And when he came up in OTAs, I was like, all right, yeah, it's time. Let's let's actually get into Hercules Mata'afa because his story is really fun, both before college and in the pros. He's just really an intriguing figure to me. And there's a lot to talk about. So I actually want to take you all the way back to his family life and like when he was growing up as a kid. And and there's a a couple of really fun articles uh, when he was at 
Washington State where they talked to his mother about like his childhood and stuff. And that's like my favorite thing when like college journalists will go uh, talk to players' families and like go talk to their parents and like get all the embarrassing stories from their childhood. I love it so much. It's always so endearing. And Hercules Mata'afa's mom, uh, this is like the origin of his name because his name is awesome, right? Like I remember when he was first signed as an undrafted free agent, all the like super deep draft nicks were, were like, ooh, this kid, he is really interesting. He was supposed to be like a third or fourth round pick. And everybody else was like, that name is unbelievable. And his name, uh, so he's from Hawaii. And and so that kind of heritage and culture is where Mata'afa comes from. But uh, Hercules, so he was either going to be Hercules or Anthony. And part of that decision was that when his mom was pregnant with him, he would, like, be really, really active in her belly. Like, he would be, like, kind of pushing around and scrawling and clawing and scraping. And if if there are any uh, moms out there that are listening to this, you kind of know that, like, that will influence your opinion <laughs> of, of what your baby should be named. It kind of gives you an idea. Uh, and he was doing it, like, more than babies usually do. And so he was, she was basically like, all right, he's either going to be, if he's big, he's Hercules. And if he's small, he's Anthony. And he came out at nine pounds, which is gigantic for a baby, if you are like me and childless and don't know anything. And I guess he could also, like, hold his head up way sooner than you're supposed to be able to as an infant. Like, almost immediately, he could hold his head up on his own. Um, so he's Hercules. <laughs> they, they named him after the Greek god. And everybody in that family, and they didn't grow up with a lot, so their parents, uh, I think there was like seven kids, and their parents put them into sports and activities and stuff. And uh, Hercules was a wrestler at first, as was his sister Leah, with whom he's very close. And they would like roughhouse all the time, and their parents would talk about how they like couldn't put good furniture in the living room because the those two kids would destroy it, like wrestling and trying to play rough and stuff and they would like go to the beach and they would like wrestle and and like bystanders would be worried because apparently it looked so violent and they would like slam each other to the ground and stuff but it was just like how they played as kids uh and it turns out that they both like grew up as high school athletes both hercules and his sister to be like state class athletes and like winning championships and stuff uh, so eventually Hercules ends up pivoting to football and in he so he grows up in Hawaii, grows up uh, on Maui, and that's one of the smaller Hawaiian islands. So it's a, it's a quiet high school existence and he plays well, but he doesn't really get a lot of attention just because of where he is. And I think this is just like an interesting context to his story, because if his skill level, especially the way that he shows ends up showing out at Washington State, he's just this like disruptive force anywhere on the defensive line. I think a lot of colleges would have wanted that if they like knew this kid existed. But he was on Maui, he wasn't even on the biggest island on Oahu, which is where like all the bigger uh, high schools are in Hawaii. So he does end up getting a couple of scholarship offers. He goes to uh, Washington State. And there, he bulks up a little bit over the course of his college career, as you do have to. He ends up redshirting as a freshman, and then we kind of talked about this on yesterday's podcast. He kind of, like, follows the the general course of a college player from college to the pros. He redshirts at the start, and then he ends up being a good rotational player, and then he's a starter, and then he's a good starter, and, and then eventually he's getting uh, draft hype by the time he's ready to actually come out for the NFL. There is a point. He does. He plays a defensive tackle for a point at Washington State, and then they actually move him to defensive end and move him around. By the end of his college career, he's played every position on the defensive line and excelled at all of them. And he actually talks about how he thinks this is an advantage. Even though I think traditionally we wouldn't look at it that way, we would see all that position 
position switching is something that would like stunt your growth and whatever position, you know, if I want Hercules Mata off on my team, whatever position I want him to play, he has that much less experience at it because of all the other ones. But it it gives him a, a little bit of a sense of like angles and and just kind of how to get after the quarterback from all the different gaps. And that kind of versatility can be an asset because the thing about Hercules Mata'afa, and you'll remember this if you, you know, paid attention to all the analysis after he was picked up after the, the 2018 draft, is that he's really, really, really small for a defensive tackle. He is about Anthony Barr's size, actually a little smaller than Anthony Barr playing D-tackle. Like, Imagine, you know, taking Sheldon Richardson and knocking 45 pounds off of him and you get uh, Hercules Mata'afa. And and for most evaluators, college, pro, high school, everything, uh, you know, you look at that and you say, oh, well, this kid's just going to get washed away by every guard that gets his hands on him and and he's just going to get blown back. And that does happen to him a little bit throughout college and he does get some of that bad tape put out there. And it turns out that like NFL team builders and GMs and stuff are not willing to take a chance on him. And he falls all the way out of the draft, even though all the hype around that time was that he was supposed to be a third or fourth rounder. And he was even interviewed uh, in an article, I'll link it in the show notes, about like how he was thinking about like preparing for the draft. He actually wrote an article himself about like me as a, my life as a draft prospect. And he, when he talks about the draft, he's like, I don't care where I get drafted, which is very presumptuous about getting drafted period. And then he doesn't. And and you can kind of tell that like the people around him told him he would get drafted. A lot of analysts, neutral analysts had a third or fourth round grade on him. So it's not like they were giving him bad advice or anything. Some people just fall. So he ends up uh, going to the Vikings, and they actually sign him to a big big old contract, at least by uh, undrafted free agent standards, and he comes into OTAs, and then you remember how this goes, right? So he comes into OTAs, and we're not sure if he's going to play you know, defensive tackle or linebacker or what they're going to do with him in the NFL. And I remember when I, when I previewed him for the 90-man the series, actually, I don't remember if I did because I think he might have gotten hurt before I got to him. But I at least remember preparing for it, and I remember thinking that, like, yeah, that position switch is going to have a huge, uh, or, or lack thereof, is going to have a huge impact on him. If he has to learn how to cover, period, his chances of making it in the NFL are a lot smaller, I guess, in my opinion, than if he just had to learn how to play defensive tackle but be undersized. And he had all kinds of quickness and stuff and athleticism, and that's why a lot of people that had third or fourth round grades on him believed in him. But before we got to see any of those questions get answered, Hercules Mata'afa goes out on a kickoff drill and ends up tearing his ACL and he's out for the season. And that basically covers his whole rookie campaign. And at that moment, he was really worried. He thought, this is it. This is over. Everything I've worked for, everything, you know, my, my siblings have pushed me towards and all this competition and, and uh, the blood, sweat and tears and all this stuff. It's over because I was an undrafted free agent. I was maybe not going to make the team in the first place. And now I'm too hurt to play. They're never going to, you know, want to keep me. They were barely in on me in the first place. But the Vikings decide, no, we do want to keep you around. We're going to put you on IR. We're going to get you rehabbed and you're going to come back next year and try this again. And now here we are. And that was like a really emotional moment for him because it was a second chance that I think he understood that not everybody gets. And and the fact that the Vikings gave that second chance to him, I think it's just a matter of like, now you're counting your blessings and you can come back and you can try it again. So like if ever there was going to be a player who is motivated to prove some doubters wrong, it's Hercules Mata'afa. Now he's, like I said earlier, he's playing defensive tackle again, and he'll have to crack a roster group that doesn't seem that tough to crack. Uh, if you think about there being three or, or four or five defensive tackles, so that's Linval Joseph, Shamar Stefan, I think those guys are locks. Then you have Jaleel Johnson, Jalen Holmes, Afadio Denebo is out of the room, Armin Watts and some undrafted free agents and stuff. Like, you could crack that group if you're Hercules, Hercules Mata'afa, absolutely. 
And so I, I think he does have a better chance than, than you would typically expect of an undrafted free agent who got hurt his rookie year. Um, on the other hand, his situation was always a little weird because I think a, a lot of teams or uh, at least a lot of analysts didn't think he should be an undrafted free agent in the first place. And so putting that pedigree on him is perhaps unfair. Either way, we'll see. Hercules Mata'afa is a really, really interesting figure to me. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how he actually ends up in the NFL because he really does break the rule of what a defensive tackle is supposed to look like. But he also didn't look like a classic defensive tackle when he was wreaking havoc at Washington State. So we'll see if all that stuff about angles, all that competition, all that roughhousing as a kid actually turns him into a player, even if he doesn't quite have the frame to look like we are typically used to players at his position looking like. So I am going to step away for a brief second uh, real quick here, and then I'll come back and talk about the, the last player on the docket. But first, I do want to just encourage you to go download the Himalaya podcast app. It is a new podcast app that actually looks at the podcasts that you listen to and curates a list of other things you might Uh, like and be interested in and help you kind of sort through all the crazy volume of podcasts out there and maybe here are things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to find again it's the himalaya podcast app go out download it subscribe to locked on vikings and see if you like it okay welcome back so the last player i'm going to talk about today is somebody that i i really want to get right uh when i do this segment because i don't think his story has been told Uh, fairly, really at all, throughout his whole time on the Vikings. I'm going to talk about Laquan Treadwell. And first, let me just, like, remind you that this is not an evaluative uh, segment of the podcast. This is not me talking about Laquan Treadwell as an on-field wide receiver and and his quality issues and what happened and what went wrong and and why the Vikings made such a huge mistake drafting him in the first round and blah, blah, blah. That's always the discourse around Laquan Treadwell, to the point where you can't actually really evaluate him anymore. You kind of can only dunk on him, and anything else is going to be met with uh, hordes of resistance. I even saw uh, during the first OTA, Chris Thomason posted a video of Laquan Treadwell just catching a pass. It was was a nice little catch. And it it had like 25 responses of people being like, well, he could, anyone could do that. And like tearing the video apart as if it were some big giant, like crafted defense of Laquan Treadwell that they were here to nobly slay. And, And there's really no room to talk about Laquan Treadwell outside of he sucks and the Vikings shouldn't have drafted him. And there's a lot more to him than that because he's a human. And the whole point of this show is to get to know these players as humans and not as, as, you know, faceless commodities that are a a cap number and some yardage. So I actually want to go back to Laquan Treadwell, all the way back, same thing we did with Hercules Mata'afa. I want to go all the way back to his childhood and how his uh, mom actually, like, had a lot of trouble controlling him. And he was, out of all of his uh, brothers and sisters, he was, I think, one of six, and he was the biggest one and the, mo- the rowdiest one. He was always the one getting into trouble or breaking things, and, and he had a temper as a kid and, and stuff like that. And his mom, who, bless her, I bless Tammy Treadwell for raising six children in the 1990s in the Deep South as a single mother. That is a hero if I have ever seen one. Uh, but she moves around and she, like, finds a way to get Laquan Treadwell into sports, to, to channel all of that energy. And if she hadn't done that, then Laquan Treadwell would not have blossomed through high school into, like, the number one wide receiver recruit in the nation in 2013. And, you know, he he gets out there and and talking to his high school coaches and interviews with his high school coaches say that he's kind of a kid that 
Uh, you know, he, he wanted to play quarterback. He, of course, right. You want to be the quarterback. You want to be the star. And when they didn't let him, he actually got kind of quiet and, and he like really struggled to take that news. And the coaches had to like coax him into like accepting playing like all the other positions. He played a ton of positions in high school. He was just one of those guys that was like the best player on the field, no matter what. And you just kind of like figure out a way to get him on the football field because he's the best player out there. And so of course this all leads to him being the number one wide receiver recruit in 2013 in the college class. And if you remember, uh, if you paid attention to the Ole Miss, like, Rebel Rags, uh, that whole controversy that went down between, like, Ole Miss and Mississippi State and all that, uh, Laquan Treadwell was one of the, like, suspect recruitments for Hugh Freeze, who, uh, it was, like, him and Larry Tunsil and somebody else that, like, the, the Ole Miss Rebels managed to recruit, even though they weren't that big of a program, but Laquan Treadwell ends up going to Ole Miss, and he has to kind of go through that same process of like not being the the star of the show until he's a little older and like having to work his way up to being the star. But then come like his his junior and senior years, he is a superstar. And, and in 2015, he's absolutely the guy that Ole Miss recruited him to be. He is this huge, huge player. Everybody is talking about him as a possible first round draft pick. And Ole Miss is actually like ranked in the top like eight teams they actually have a prayer to go to the playoffs that year they beat Alabama they lost one to LSU and then they go into this Auburn game essentially needing to win out and maybe they could sneak into the playoffs it's a great year for Ole Miss definitely better than you usually see and in that game and and this is a situation that I'm going to go really deep into because I think it's really important to who Laquan Treadwell is and his psyche and everything is um, he goes out for a a sideline pattern and he ends up catching the a pass and he is breaking away and he's going to like get a touchdown. And at this point he is so dominant. Um, but he doesn't really have to work very hard at it because he's six, three and he's bigger than everybody. And he can basically bully around all these college athletes and he gets separation by just being a bully by being super physical and just like dominating past everybody. And that's basically how he wins at all of his routes. And this is no exception. So he gets behind the Auburn corner, uh, at Chris Frost, I think his name was, and uh, he's getting chased down the sideline, and he feels hands wrap around his waist, and he's, he he t- tells this story in vivid detail now, and when he's asked about it uh, later in the in the next year, and he says, I, I lunged for the goal line because he wanted to get the touchdown, and he was so excited for his team and and for what Ole Miss had accomplished because they just were never that kind of program, and they had a chance to achieve something that they never had before Laquan Treadwell, and he could be the hero, he could be the guy that facilitated that for his school and be like cemented as a legend forever and that is the motivation that makes him lunge outward toward the goal line which turns out to be the worst decision ever because as he tries to lunge he loses his balance and the hands around his waist tighten and he didn't have enough of a leap to get out of them and he ends up getting like bent over backwards and the big giant football player lands on his leg fractures his leg and he ends up being out for the season. And immediately the injury is gruesome. Don't go look up video of it. I'm not going to link any video of it or anything like that. There's a, a touching story of like a kid who is like the Quan Treadwell is like his favorite player. He's this huge Mississippi fan and who like can't like possibly come to terms with what has happened to his favorite player as he's watching this game. And his dad's trying to like explain how it wasn't a horse collar tackle and like how it actually was just like really unfortunate and not illegal and everything like that. And, and he remembers being stretched off and being frustrated that I'm not going to be able to come back at this till next season. We're, we're probably not going to win this game without me. Like, and, and, you know, I'm not going to be able to contribute for my team and I'm not going to be able to be like all that stuff that he was excited about. Not two seconds earlier can't happen now. And all of that stuff gets ripped away from him 
at, at one moment. And then it becomes about rehab and how you attack rehab when you're an injured player. And we've had a couple people we've talked about that like had college injuries and had to come back. Davion Davis was one, uh, Devontae Downs was one. And, and you have to kind of come back and you have to find a way to like get healthy and prove yourself again, but it's going to be a setback to you. You go from being a potential top five, top 10 pick in the draft, which is kind of the discourse around him in 2015 to, is he going to be able to play football again? And there's a, a, an article that uh, I think I'm going to link in the show notes that talks about his rehab. And this is where I think you really get a sense of who Treadwell is. And I want to just like take a snapshot at, of his life at this moment where he doesn't have football. Um, but he does have a two-year-old daughter. He has a daughter in 2013 uh, during his college years, um, and, and he grew up without a father. And so him, like, he he talks all the time about making a concerted effort to be there for his daughter and how that is, like, the most important thing in the world and how he had all these experiences of, like, not having a father in his life and, and his worst nightmare is to have his daughter go through the same thing. So he will always be there for his daughter. Um, and and I, I think that that's like really important to mention about him because I think it just colors who you are so much when you have a kid, no matter what walk of life you're from or, or what you're doing with your time, having a kid just kind of changes you. And for Laquan Treadwell, it becomes like a huge part of his life. Right. Um, but with his injury and his rehab, he doesn't want to be hopped up on painkillers all the time. And so he actually doesn't take them. And, and even though his foot is on fire, he says it, sound, it's, it felt like my foot was just doused in fire all the time and the pain was unbelievable. But like as much as he could, he did not take pain meds. He did not want to be like aided by pharmaceuticals, I think was the, the verbiage he used. And so throughout his rehab, not being on, on paid meds and stuff and, and really just pushing it. And he's just pushing through his rehab as quickly as possible. And this is something that a lot of his coaches talked about, that, that Laquan Treadwell will, will push himself. And we've heard Mike Zimmer talk about this too, that Laquan Treadwell will push himself beyond the limits of what should be like plausible at all. He is somebody that is so self-motivated almost to a fault that he will recover from surgery and from that gruesome, gruesome injury without taking like any pharmaceuticals. That is just superhuman to me. And I think understanding who he is, you, you have to understand like that, that he would go to those lengths if he thought it meant he could get back on a football field faster. And like, I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's right to do. Like as much as you care about football, take care of your own body, because if you don't, then you're not like you're putting your own future in jeopardy. But he, he, he hurries along through his rehab and he's coming back for the 2016 or the, the 2015 uh, season. Sorry, 2014 was when the injury happened. Um, but for the twenty four for the twenty fifteen season, he comes back and he actually is able to come in and play. And in in their first game, they like blow out some ran- old Miss blow, blows out some like random nobody school. And he gets a couple catches, and it's like this huge moment for him. He's back. He's on the field. He's playing football again. He has come back from that gruesome injury, and it's a, honestly a miracle that he came back to football at all, let alone that fast. And he plays well enough to basically show that like he's not as good as he was in the previous year, but he shows you know NFL teams that like hey like that guy is very far off and clearly I'm still hurt and and that's what the Vikings see when they draft him and so they take him in the first round and they see a kid that maybe didn't have the best senior year and maybe didn't have the best athletic testing but I think they just kind of thought that like well he's still hurt um, and and I think a lot of those personality things that we've talked about that stubbornness that you know pushing yourself too hard 
Um, and, and I think a little bit of a, a lack of ability to take criticism and, and like deal with disappointment, kind of like when in high school he was told he couldn't do play quarterback and the coaches kind of had to like help him through that. Whereas I don't think a lot of players would need help getting through that. They would just say, okay, that's disappointing, but put me where you put me coach. Um, and, and I think that that happens, you know, throughout, uh, college as well, when he doesn't get the opportunities he wants and when he's hurt and, and he's kind I don't want to say pouting because that's such a, like, it feels so coded, but he is like not dealing with it well. And so when he comes in in 2016 and the wide receiver room is Stefan Diggs, who has basically broken out at the end of his rookie year and is coming into a, a sophomore season that like we're all really excited about. And Adam Thielen breaks out that year. So Laquan Treadwell, even if he was better than he was, probably wouldn't have gotten much of a run anyways. And, and regardless of how good he was on the field, like he would have had to deal with this moment where he realizes he's third on the depth chart. Like even if he lived up to first round expectations, he's still going to be third on the depth chart and he has to deal with that. And he deals with that by staying after on the jugs machine and, and doing wind sprints up and down the stairs at, at uh, Winter Park and like just pushing himself and pushing himself and pushing himself to the point where he is not like good to go at practice in in the morning and he's like tired and exhausted and then he can't put his best on the field in front of the coaches and his answer to that is oh well I just gotta work harder and he does more jugs and he does more wind sprints and and eventually after like two years of this Zimmer has to sit him down and say listen man like this isn't how you're going to be successful here just like relax we know you can play play the way you play and and we I don't know if we've still seen that and it, maybe it's frustrating that you see a kid with all the talent in the world, you know, a kid that in high school dominates people so bad that like you can put him at any position. And like, it kind of reminds me of, of Mike Hughes when we talked about him uh, earlier in the week, like he will just dominate at, at any position you put him at. Uh, and all the way up to this point where like he can't crack a, a rotation when Aldrich Robinson is in the game and now he's looking at losing his job to like a CFL guy or somebody who could barely make the Denver Broncos so for Treadwell going into this season this is a really big moment and I think it has to be a big moment for him as as much as uh, as in like an on-field player character as it is like actual technique and stuff and he always again he always had an athleticism where his technique never had to be good and he could be successful in spite of it and that's true of a lot of rookies but I think it was especially true of Treadwell and kind of making his path towards succeeding in the NFL just that much steeper. But there's a lot of things about Laquan Treadwell that are evident throughout his whole story, all the way from childhood through high school through college, that kind of inform where he is today. And I think to understand, truly understand Laquan Treadwell, rather than just making jokes about how he's slow or how he can't catch or whatever, I, I think it's important to understand all these things about his life and, and, you know, his fatherhood and his determination and his injury and even his situation growing up and being raised by a single mother. All those things color your character. And I think Laquan Treadwell, I... I I've never met the guy, and I can't talk about who he is, but I would imagine as a character and as a person, as a man, probably one of the best guys you'll meet as, you know, as a dad, as somebody raised by a single mother, as somebody who's been through what he's been through and had his, you know, had his hardship at home life, had his own hardship to go through with his injury. That's somebody that I bet is, is a pretty grounded human, but as a football player and as the mentality that you have to have as a football player, it, that particular brand of resilience isn't working out. And he needs to change that and, and really come through and, and show that, hey, you know, my ability that I had that made me such a highly touted prospect back in 2014 is still here and here it is. 
and and you know losing reps to Brandon Zilstra isn't going to get me down. That's going to have to be what happens to Laquan Treadwell, or else I don't know where his future in the NFL is. I, I wonder if maybe he gets another chance somewhere to not make a roster, and then that is it, and he has to go find another way to make ends meet. Technically at stake for Laquan Treadwell is the third wide receiver slot and a potential extension, but he didn't get his fifth-year option picked up, and things are looking really bleak. This is kind of a last chance for him, especially with the Vikings and maybe with the NFL as a whole. So I know that I went like way over time and this is a way longer podcast than it's usually supposed to be. I I really wanted to get Laquan Treadwell right because I think it's really important, especially for players like him that are kind of lightning rods, you know, taking over the mantle of Matt Khalil or Christian Ponder before him, uh, you know, guys that the fan base will just like irrationally hate forever. I think it's really important to get the human side of those players right more than anybody else. So I'm really sorry that this went a little bit long if you had uh, if you finished your commute to work before the podcast ended, and that's not usually a thing for you. I do apologize, but I think it's really important to get it right for a guy like Treadwell. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. And this week on Locked on Vikings, I will come back on Monday. We will talk about uh, any interesting happenings at OTAs. I kind of don't expect there to be too much uh, unless there's like a big injury or if a trade or something happens or, or Kyle Rudolph machinations or whatever. We'll keep you updated on what's important to keep you updated on and then we will continue with the 90-man show. As always, in the meantime, you can find me at NFL on Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnVikings on Twitter. You can find the show on any podcast app you like, including Himalaya. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out for an extra long show. Really important to me that this one got right, so I'm okay going over. Uh, And uh, as always, skull!